millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you all had a great break. I wanted to let you know about something that I've been talking a lot about on social media at Zibby Owens, which is the hashtag 22 in 22 challenge. We are at Zibby Books. We are encouraging everybody like all of you to visit 22 bookstores in 2022. And we're going to provide a whole series of incentives for every five visits and you'll be entered to win a $500 shopping spree and you'll get fun things like bookmarks and all the rest. Plus you'll be part of a great community of people all helping support bookstores, authors, and more. We're really, really excited about it. If you want to join, sign up. You just go to 22in22.net. That's 22in22.net and click I'm in and put your information. And then every time you go to a bookstore, you just quickly go back on the site and click log a bookstore visit. And then we'll be keeping track and we'll be following up with all of your different achievements and awards and everything. So please sign up, spread the word, 22 and 22, get your friends to join and start visiting bookstores and it'll be really fun and exciting. So here's to a wonderful 2022. I'm so excited that you're listening to my podcast and doing all the fun things that I have been trying to bring into the world. So here we go, 2022, hashtag 22 in 22. Susan Orlean is the author of On Animals. She has been a staff writer at The New Yorker since 1992 and is the New York Times bestselling author of seven books, including The Library Book, Rin Tin Tin, Saturday Night, and The Orchid Thief, which was made into the Academy Award-winning film Adaptation. 
She lives with her family and her animals in Los Angeles and can be reached at susanorlean.com and on Twitter at Susan Orlean. This is her second appearance on my podcast. The first was for the library book. So go back and listen to that one too. Welcome, Susan. Thanks for coming back onto Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books for your latest on animals. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm so happy to be with you. And it's such a pleasure to be back again. Oh, I know last time we were in person, so it's not quite the same, but your, your publicist sent me a copy, but I also subscribed to your literati box, I have to say. So I got it from that. I love it. I love your literati box. <laughs> Thank you. It's so much fun. And as you know, it's such a pleasure to turn the spotlight on, on different books. It's just a treat. Can you share like another one coming up? We just started Patty Clark, Ha 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 by Roddy Doyle. Amazing book. And it's a little older than some of the titles I've been choosing, but luckily that doesn't matter. And I feel like anybody who missed it first time around, this is a great chance to introduce them to this, you know, magnificent book. Amazing. Well, yes, anyone listening who loves Susan Arlene, which is probably most of you, go to Literati and you can get a box of her picks every month, right? Every month? Anyway, very yeah. cool. Okay, let's talk about On Animals, which was amazing. I mean, I did not realize you were this much of an animal person, animals of all shapes and sizes and types and everything. Tell me about why you wrote this collection, why now, all of it. Oh, this is an interesting experience. And I know many have already been written. I didn't mean to suggest you sat down no. with them. So, yeah. Oh, of course. And uh, some of the material was newly written for the sake of doing a collection. Doing a collection is a wonderful pleasure. It's, it's a privilege, really, to take work and that's been published in magazines and put them together both because it's a different experience to have the material in a book. It makes it a sort of permanent document that's kind of wonderful. But if it's a thematic collection, as this one was, there is a bigger story that you're trying to tell. In this case, it also came about, interestingly, as a result of COVID. I think many of us, during this period of time, have been looking back on our lives and being kind of reflective about what we've done, what we want to do, what matters, what doesn't matter, you know, the, the impulses that come from being in rather extreme circumstances. So I was looking back over my career and just thinking about what if I really address regularly? What are the things that have mattered to me? Coincidentally, I also did what a lot of people did during COVID, which is I got a puppy. <laughs> Adding to my menagerie of a dog and a cat, I got a puppy. And so did just about everybody I know during COVID. I thought that was kind of interesting. Why is it that we, so many of us had this impulse during a time of great anxiety to get a pet? Well, that began kind of coalescing with this other idea of looking at my work and thinking, what have I addressed regularly in my stories? 
And it emerged almost instantly that I've written many, many pieces about animals. And those pieces kind of look at recurring themes about animals and about our living with animals. Putting the stories together seemed to me to actually emphasize the the sort of underlying themes about what is it like to coexist on a planet with these other creatures? What is our responsibility to them since we are kind of the apex predator? What is our responsibility to the animals that we share the earth with? What is the the sort of what are the questions that arise out of captivity? Do we do it right? Is it right? to ever keep animals captive. And then the question of what our relationship is with those animals that work for us. And that may sound like a funny phrase, but when you think about it, there are lots of animals that we have a kind of working relationship with. Livestock, horses, donkeys, chickens, you know, these animals that we don't keep as pets exactly, but that we have a relationship with. And over the years, you know, I get to pick my own subject matter and I just keep gravitating to these stories about animals. So it became very natural to me to put them together. Interesting. I feel like when I talked to Danny Shapiro a while ago, you know, when, when about inheritance, she was saying, you know, when she looks back, so much of her work is about this like search for a, a identity and father and whatever, and it all made sense later. Do you have something like that makes it all make sense? Like, yes, you've identified the theme of the work, but like, do you know deep down where it really all comes from, or is there? You know, not that you're really related to a chicken or something, but <laughs> do you know what I'm trying yeah. to say? <laughs> Uh, Yes, absolutely. I think that the themes that I really return to regularly are about how we strive to have some sense of what our place is in the world. And, you know, from The Orchid Thief on, a lot of the things I've written about have been about trying, what is it that we do? to make ourselves feel like we have a sense of where we fit into the chaos of existence, whether it's collecting every orchid species known to man, whether it's with the library book about preserving stories, there's something that we need in our lives to make us feel that they make sense. And what is it that that we choose for for that purpose? So interesting. Wow. I mean, I I had never personally thought about my relationship with animals this much, but when you shine a light on any area, right? I, I feel like when you get to a when you start evaluating your own interests like from the outside, it gets even more interesting. I feel like that's what oh, you're yeah. doing, you know? Like <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I wrote the the opening and closing essays in the book are are personal. They're first person about my long history with animals and then about my life on our farm in the Hudson Valley when I had 
more animals than I've ever had in my life. And then the stories in the sort of body of the book are more journalistic, where I was writing about stories that had emerged or scenarios that really interested me that had an animal at the center of it. Many of these stories seem to be about animals. They're really all ultimately about people because, you know, the people around the animals are the ones that are revealed the most explicitly. So, and, you know, whether it's um, a animal biologist whose goal in life is to see the whale from the Free Willy movies set free or you know, if you're the owner of a show dog and your dream is for this dog to achieve stardom, there's a way that these relationships give the life of the that person a certain order and meaning and purpose that, I mean, I certainly can relate to that. I think there's no one who doesn't understand that fundamental need to feel that you have a goal, that you have some purpose in your life that, you know, in the past for many people, that purpose would have been religion or the raising of children. But beyond that, there's this bigger urge, which is what's, what does my life mean and what matters to me in, in my life? And Quite often, we find that meaning through a relationship with animals. Wow. Well, that's very well said. <laughs> Love that. So when you market a book like this, right, you've been writing for so successfully for a while, and this is obviously very different from your last novel. When you go out on the road to sell a new book or think about what you're even going to do next, like what kinds of considerations come into your, like, we, do you try to alternate or are you like, what's going to come after this? Like, is there an overarching strategy or is it what moves me or what am I feeling? Or I don't know. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. 
Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishful podcast studio from the cat in the hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Well, it's interesting because collections are a completely different entity than a book that's a single story. And I happen to think they're kind of wonderful because you they're bite-sized pieces as opposed to a commitment to a single topic. I wouldn't release, I, I don't think you want to release collections back to back. They almost serve as a kind of mid-course palate cleanser because they just they're just different. They're, you know, it's previously published work. None of the stories go at, I mean, these pieces are all very long by the standards of a magazine piece, but people, I don't think you want to publish collection after collection. So I had just published the library book, which was, you know, a single topic that got the full 300 page treatment. And I'm working now on a memoir Oh, and part of what was nice was to put together a collection to come out between those two. And, you know, it's almost, I mean, it's like they a teaser. Were, yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I mean, collections are a lot more work than they would appear. It's funny because you think, oh, easy. You just take all your clips and put them together between covers and there you have your book but it's not like that. It really is a lot of work and a lot of thought that goes into putting them together. But it it is nice as particularly for me because I really think of myself equally as a magazine writer and a book writer. So this represents that range that a magazine gives you. You can spend a certain amount of time on a story and then move on to the next one and the next one. So this, I love the way that a collection kind of informs you of that big range of subjects. But I think people overall really love a book that digs into one subject deeply. I think, you know, people sit down with a book and want that deep dive into a single topic. So, you know, putting out collection after collection, I don't think would be a good, it it would be hard to market that. If we just want to talk purely commercially, I think overall 
single subject books just sell much more than collections. And and tell me about the memoir. I'm so excited to hear you're writing one. Oh, thank you. Well, I have a lot of, it's funny because I've made my entire professional life about writing about other people's lives. <laughs> and I've always felt a little shy about writing about my own life and feeling like, oh, who cares about my life? You know, I, I don't have such an extraordinary life. And yet when I think about what I've done in my experiences, I really have had a very interesting life. I mean, not everybody gets to do what I get to do. And it, so this has been a process of persuading myself to not undervalue the, the stories that I have to tell. I mean, even telling people the backstory of the pieces that I've written, I realize is quite interesting. And, and it's not like the life that everybody leads or you know, I'm so often asked about the backstory behind The Orchid Thief and the resulting film adaptation. And it's a very funny story. It's a very interesting journey to have been on. And I think having grown up in an era of memoirs, I have a little bit of a resistance feeling like, well, not everybody's life is that interesting. And not every memoir really needs to be written. And so oh, I've been very resistant to this idea until finally I thought, I think I'm being a little overly resistant that these stories really are interesting. And, and I have had an unusual life. Oh, I'm very excited to read it. I love memoir. And I know the little snippets that you revealed about your mom and everything in the library book. I don't know. I can't wait to... Again, do you have a title yet? You know, that's been the tricky thing. We've been calling it provisionally True Story, but I'm not sure if we'll end up with that title. And to be honest with you, every book I've ever written had the title change <laughs> between the time that we conceived of it and the time it's been published. And in this case, it's not, it's useful to have a provisional title, but I would be surprised if if we stayed with that. I, I mean, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with it, but I don't love it. I have, I think it's cute, but I have a memoir coming out in July. I'm like super excited about it, a little bit. Oh. Nervous. Yeah, I'm really excited, but I changed the title like a million times, a million. Now it's called Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature. So I'm very excited about where we ended up, but it was called The Book Messenger and it was called Booked and it was called, I don't even know. We just kept, I just couldn't be happy with it until now I'm finally happy with it. Oh, I love that. Thank you. You know, titling a memoir is tricky because there are, I mean, part of my problem with the title True Story is I feel like there probably have been a million books called True Story, or it sounds like there have been a million books. It doesn't feel distinctive. And it's hard. You know, the the range of possible titles for a memoir feels fairly constrained. So <laughs> Everybody, a lot of them sound a little bit alike. Mm -hmm. And and I do think book titles matter. I really do. I think 
book titles matter, book jackets matter, and you want to get it right. Yes, very true. There was just a really interesting article about that, I think in LitHub, about the importance of book covers. And anyway, I mean, obviously they are very important, but. I think, you know, the nature of of the creation of a book, I mean, it, it's interesting because you write the book and you do as good a job as you can possibly do. And then there's the entire physical presentation of the book yes. that is what readers interact with first. They yes. interact first with the cover, with the title, with the feel of the, you know, the dust jacket. And when you write a book, you sometimes forget how important that is and how that makes a difference between whether someone may pick up a book or not or remember it or not. And I've been very lucky. I feel like I've had fantastic packages for all of my books and I'm very, I'm very involved in it and, and feel also like the people, the designers have been fantastic writing coming up with a title is a really tricky thing. And being good at writing a 3000 word piece doesn't necessarily mean you're good at coming up with a book title. It's a different, you know, it's this little telegraphic bit of information that if you're used to writing long, lovely sentences, you may not have the talent for picking out two or three words that really convey what a book is about. I'm lucky because my publisher is an incredible writer of titles. When I wrote The Orchid Thief, I had a different title for the book that I was bound and determined to use because I thought it was amazing. The title that I had that I thought was amazing was The Millionaire's Hothouse. I was convinced that this was the best title ever. My publisher got the book, told me he loved the book, said he had one issue. He didn't love the title. And I was just shocked. And I thought, well, what do you mean? You don't like it's the best title in the world. He said, well, what about this? The Orchid Thief. And I said, well, that's just horrible. That's a horrible title. And he said, well, why don't you just sleep on it? And I went to a bunch of friends and I said, which title do you think is better? The Orchid Thief or The Millionaire's Hothouse? All of them said The Orchid Thief. And at that point, I was worn down. I mean, (laughs) you know, I just felt like, well, obviously people are missing the obvious, which is that (laughs) this is a terrible title. (laughs) Of course, I have been told a million times by people, oh my God, that's the best title ever. And I always say, well, thank you. You know, it was hard to come up with. (laughs) (laughs) I love that story. I mean, it's funny because it's an art form and it's not necessarily one that comes along with the art form of writing a long story. It's short. It has to have a different quality to it. And I don't think I'm very good at it. Well, good thing they're great editors. Right, exactly. (laughs) Thank God. I'm going to knock on wood, as we're saying. (laughs) 
Well, Susan, thank you so much. Thanks for coming back on my podcast. And I hope one of these times our paths will connect on the West Coast. And fingers crossed. Uh, we've had bad timing. I know. That will change because now we're kind of here full time. Okay. And it's always such a pleasure to talk to you. I I love it so much. You're so wonderful. Oh, thank you. Support books the way you do. And it's just a real treat to see you. Thank you. You too. I feel the same way. All right. Great talking to you. Have a great day. Feel better. Feel better. (laughs) Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.